Hey guys, Dr. Greg, and on today's episode of The Daily Dose of Dr. Greg, I am gonna talk about all things irritable bowel syndrome. You got it, we're gonna talk about poop and the gut and liver. We're even gonna talk a little bit about coffee enemas. So if you've been curious about coffee enemas and what they are, stay tuned for our in-depth talk about IBS. All right, so here we go. Irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, really what is it? First off, let, let's let's have a bit of a definition of irritable bowel syndrome. Why we're talking about the gut, why we're talking about poop, it, it is huge when it comes to your overall health. You see, one of the things that we have talked about, or I've talked about in 20 years of doing functional medicine, and it's one of the key components of how we treat patients at our clinic here in, in Minnesota, um, the gut. So your gut is a part of your drainage pathway. And obviously we all know that our gut gets rid of things. Though when we understand how the gut is responding to the environment, to the foods, to our emotions, it gives us an idea of truly what's going on inside of the body. So irritable bowel is typically identified when a person swings between constipation or a sluggish bowel and between really loose stools. And it doesn't always necessarily make sense why they're sluggish or why they're loose. Now, before we identify sluggish or loose, maybe we should talk about like what's normal. What's normal from a bowel standpoint? And, and there's a lot to talk about. There's all kinds of like di diagrams on what poop looks like and the, and the texture of your poop and the frequency of your poop. A couple things that I think about though, you know, I say one or two really good bowel movements a day. And what I mean by really good is that concept of a full void. Like I really, really feel like it all came out, like we're good. Now, if you've if you've had a full void, a full void, you know what that feels like. You you you're like, yes, oh, that was a good one. And you also, on the opposite of that, know what the lack of a full void feels like. Cause you you have a bowel movement and you're like, ugh. That wasn't quite what I was hoping for. Or you're back in the bathroom maybe 20 minutes or a couple hours later and your body's still trying to work through helping you get rid of things. Now, why the gut is so, so important, especially in regards to the drainage pathways, is that your gut, yes, it it is in its own self a drainage pathway, but there are two other very key drainage systems that drain directly into the gut. The first of them being the liver. And actually it's in two different places, up uh, right by through the cystic duct, through your gallbladder, the, the liver dumps bile and things into your small intestine. And then actually through your hepatobiliary vein via your hemorrhoid vein, your liver also dumps a bunch of its toxicity into your distal or kind of like towards the exit point of your large intestine. So understand that if your gut is either trucking along too fast, like things are too loose, or it's sluggish, it can impede the liver's ability to detoxify. So that's super important. By the way, uh, we've I've talked a lot about the liver. Um, I will continue to talk a lot about the liver. I've said for years that it is the most underpaid, overworked organ in the entire body. Um, we've gotta be supporting the liver. And I actually think, Oh yeah, we're gonna talk about coffee enemas here in a little bit, speaking of the liver. The other drainage pathway is your lymphatic system. So there's something called GALT, G 
G-U-T-A-L-T, gut-associated lymphatic tissue. And some have said that upwards of 80% of your lymphatic system lies within the areas of your liver and gut. So then, therefore, that absorption and movement of that area also can impede or support the lymphatic flow. Uh, actually, we just had a patient in our in our IV suite here at our clinic in in, the, in Minnesota, and we were doing some lymphatic work with them at the same time that we were doing IV therapy because we know that especially like so. Just talking about lymph for a second, like this woman, like early forties. And I saw her yesterday in the clinic and she had like really puffy ankles. She called them her cankles. And she's like, yeah, that's actually pretty typical for me. And in, and in some cases, it's actually can be associated with heart disease because your body's inability to move fluid back up the system. So, and there's also a term called pitting edema, like where you push your thumb into the leg and that indention of your thumb stays there for a while. That's not good. So, so this young woman had some of those things going on. So today, while we were doing, uh, we actually, we did IV therapy, we actually did ozone and blood irradiation therapy, but we also had, um, the Normatec sleeves on her legs to help push that lymphatic flu up into her gut liver area so that that area could then process it and get it taken out. So that's um, just to, just the importance of the gut and why we focus so much on the gut. Okay, the first topic is, in your opinion, what is the most efficient way to address IBS? Um, how, do you, how do you do so in your own patients? Well, I'm a test don't guess guy, right? So first off, um, we can ask good questions. By the way, I don't have to run a lab test for you to say, oh yeah, I go from, from diarrhea to constipation and back and forth and it doesn't always make sense. So taking a good medical history, uh, ask those questions. And also, it's not always the same cause, okay? So some people have leaky gut syndrome. So legitimate holes in the intestinal lining, a, that that permeability that we talk about, that can absolutely be a, a and it's not the cause of leaky gut though. It is typically like the ramification. It's like the 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 what was left inside of it or what what stays because of it. So so what do we do? Um, number one, we have to really talk about the gut and how we make a gut healthy. We also know that a healthy gut has about 2,500 different bacteria. Not all good, some are very good, some are bad. So to understand the 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 microbiome of the gut and what that has to do inside of our body. Uh, and then also understanding that how certain foods that we eat can disrupt that microbiome. Just quite respectfully, glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, uh, and alcohol. Like those are two of the greatest things that can really disrupt our microbiome, plus they're a load upon the liver. So something to think about inside of that. Um, so the biggest thing that we want to address with irritable bowel is what could the body be dealing with? that the drainage pathway is having to like take care of. Think of this, like if if you kept putting um, hot grease or or crazy things into your garbage can, over time your garbage can or the garbage company is gonna be like, what are you doing here? Like, this is not good. Now that's probably a cheesy analogy, though the reality is um, your gut is really a picture of your 
of your um, physical health, of your chemical health, even of your emotional health. We also know that a huge amount of your neurotransmitters, you know, for example, like serotonin, which makes you feel good, uh, dopamine, oxytocin, that those connection hormones, a lot of those are produced in the gut due to interactions and, and uh, biochemical processes of the microbiome. So the gut, my goodness gracious, it is huge. So um, so what we do, number one, we test. We test for things that the body should not have to be dealing with, whether it's toxins or infections. We also have pretty authentic conversations about emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being because we know that those are unequivocally huge aspects to your health. So here is people are like, you know what, Dr. Greg, like I get that I should probably like, you know, eat the right things, but like, like that whole emotional thing, like, I don't know what I think about that. Well, um, how many of you would love to be on a stage and do public speaking in front of 10,000 people. Uh, according to research, most of you were like, oh, hell no, <laughs> not me. So what happens is, so it, let's say that you were told you have to be on a podcast or do a, do a lecture. Would you ever get like a knot in your stomach? Or would you ever get like maybe an upset tummy? Um, so there's proof that an emotional stressor can cause a physical manifestations. So what are those emotional stressors that could be in your life? Could you have relationships that are strained? Could you have trauma from your upbringing? Could you just maybe not be equipped to handle with the stressors of what's going on? And what the heck? Welcome to COVID and what's happened in the last three years in this world. There's been a lot of stress that have happened. So, so that we know that we know that we know. I mean, look at the statistics of mental health and what's going on in that world since the beginning of this of this pandemic. So the, the second thing here is diet nutrition play a huge factor. And then it says, are there causes beside what we put into our bodies from a food standpoint? And that's really just what I talked about, right? Those emotions and that ability to um, understand what else in my world causes me to have a state of unrest. The term, um, you know, disease, if we break it down, it's dis-ease. So the ultimate goal is to be in a state of ease. So if you're not in a state of ease, then you get disease. And that's really where that terminology came from. So what does a state of ease look like? One of the questions that I ask all of my patients is, what fills your cup? Not like, oh, I go to the faucet and I turn it on and I put water in my cup. No, no, no. What fills your cup? What do you enjoy doing? What nourishes you, right? So for me, I grew up with music. I love music. Now, I am not a, uh, uh, I would not call myself a musician, though I have a guitar in my bedroom and I pull out my phone or an iPad and I pull up some sheet music. And for me, just singing and playing music, <sighs> I love it. It brings back positive emotions. And I, and I love how music um, actually goes even to a spot in our brain that tells us we're good and it's good. Uh, I enjoy breath work. Uh, box breathing, breath holds, uh, that type of work is just very good for me. <laughs> a lot of you have seen me walk and talk on maybe social media videos. I love going for a walk. I love being in nature. I love, I love seeing um, agriculture and farms and ranches. Like those are the types of things that fill my cup. I love my family. Uh, I have five beautiful children and, and, and um, especially my two little ones every night when I get home from work. Literally, it is screamed in my house 
daddy's home and I full on get tackled by an eight and a five-year-old. So those are the things that fill my cup. And I think it's important for us to notice those things. And I think it's also important for us to not be selfish in the, in the understanding that I deserve to have my cup filled. I think I might need to say that again. Maybe you need to repeat after me. I deserve to have my cup filled. It's not selfish. And if it is selfish, then selfish can be a good word. I actually believe that selfish, being selfish is not a bad thing. Being selfish says I am worthy of being paid attention to. I am worthy of the investment. I am worthy of taking care of me. So call it what you want. Call it selfish if you want. You just got to change your mindset around that. So I think it's really important for us to get that. Now, on the flip side of that, what fills your cup question, I ask people, what puts pressure into your pressure tank? What is that? Like, for example, um, I don't care for confrontation. And, and some people, I'm not sure people love confrontation, but some people, you know, like, well, we'll just get through it and we'll, we'll rock it out. And I just, I really don't like it. I will legit get a, lot, a knot in my stomach when confrontation comes to happen. So, but it's not a bad thing. And it doesn't mean that I'm ill-equipped and I've learned all kinds of coping skills in my decades and decades of, of being here to, to deal with that. But then I realize that when I have something that puts pressure in my tank, then I know that there's something that can release the pressure, right? What fills my cup actually empties my pressure tank. So I think it's important for us to understand those things. One of the things that we talk about a lot in this practice is I, I would say um, if, if I'm an expert in anything, it's looking for things that the body shouldn't have to deal with. So that would be like things like infection and toxicity. And I believe that I believe that what we do clinically, we are experts inside of that. So, for example, um, one of the terms actually some of my team have T-shirts that say better out than in. And I think that's an old Shrek saying. And so one of the things that we do is we test for things that the body just needs some help getting rid of. So by the way, parasites are one of those things in many cases. By the way, if you're if you're like, oh, I've been sub I, I've, I've thought about that and I've seen a bunch of videos about that. I'm just gonna do it. Don't. <laughs> as nice as I can say this to you, please don't, because what I have found clinically is those that really need to do proper parasite work are actually the ones that need to do it under the the expertise of a trained clinical team. Um, now, it doesn't mean that people don't do it anyway, but but what I, so the kind of the term that I use is I use the term eviction notices. Like we come inside and we create an create an environment inside the body that is really unhospitable for things like viruses, parasites, Lyme bacteria, strep, Epstein-Barr virus. Um, again, the things that don't belong inside of the body, even toxins. Holy cow. We have the ability now to check for things like mycotoxins. Wow, by the way understanding mycotoxins and mycotoxin illness. By the way, mycotoxins are not just, I lived in a moldy house or worked in a moldy uh, office building. By the way, those are huge. It's also like, for example, I just had a patient from Kansas uh, two days ago that said that they have to actually um, harvest their entire farm crop so they can get insurance money because of the aflatoxin mold in the corn. So they, they can't, it can't be sold to market. It can't be, it can't be, um, but it has to be combined so that they can get their insurance money. That's a mold. That's mold. So a lot of our mycotoxin exposure has actually been foods, especially grains like rice or corn or wheat. Uh, they're come from also coffee too. You guys, have, you guys know my coffee, my coffee obsession. Uh, most coffee. Um, especially unless it's been tested for, has had mold exposure. And then we run into things like, like environmental toxins. 
Uh, I just looked at a set of labs before I walked into the studio today, and we actually can test for glyphosate, for example. And yes, I'm kind of beating on glyphosate during this example, but uh, this person had, I think it was like 10 times the acceptable, if you, if you assume there's an acceptable range, obviously labs have to have an acceptable range, but she was 10 times the acceptable range of glyphosate in her labs. Now that is not good, obviously, especially we now know through the shikimate pathway what, what glyphosate does to the microbiome of the gut. So we've really got to love the gut through this. And that's why we're talking about, about IBS here. We talked a lot about early about leaky gut and IBS. I, and, and, and the question is like, who's the chicken or who's the egg? And a lot of times we may not know that. Um, but, but I do believe that IBS and, and leaky gut can be caused by the same things. Um, now, now also, it's not just just a gut thing. You know, one of the main symptoms of hypothyroidism or even Hashimoto's is a sluggish gut. So you have to look outside of the gut. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about that, though, talking about the thyroid and thyroid metabolism, 20% of T4, the inactive thyroid hormone, actually gets processed or converted in the gut to become T3. By the way, 60% of T4 gets converted in the liver to become an active hormone. So, so again, drainage pathways, drainage, drainage, drainage. And, and just so you know, regardless of what a patient comes to our clinic for, and by the way, um, not everyone needs to be a patient in our clinic. We're actually, a um, little spoiler alert, and I'm going to dangle a little carrot here for you guys. We're actually in the process of creating a very robust site where you guys can come in and we can teach mini classes and give you all kinds of nuggets, uh, maybe for the do-it-yourselfer, for the do-it-yourselfer, but also not everyone needs to be a patient in our clinic. So we are, here's, we exist to be a value. We exist to be an asset on your healthcare team. And I get that not everyone needs to be a patient. So we're just trying to create things for you guys. And even that's why this podcast exists. We exist to be a valuable asset for you on your health journey. So that's how those those work. And then lastly, um, you, I am a big fan of the coffee enema. And I think I've been hesitant to talk a little bit about coffee enemas here because people are like, wait, 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 just a second. Does that mean you put coffee up your butt? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I don't know what I think about that. And, and here's the thing, like, um, it's not for everybody. I'll just tell you that right now. I mean, I, 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 how many years ago? 10 years ago, I had, I had a male patient actually that, um, and by the way, so I've actually been formally trained through the Gershon Cancer Institute, and that's a cancer therapy. By the way, I don't treat cancer in the clinic, but I'm very uh, interested in cancer therapy. I have I have a cancer, my dad had cancer, so I'm very interested in, in being cancer proof uh, in my own system. So uh, I was trained in the Gershon therapy, uh, and coffee enemas are a profound part of their therapy. So so what does that mean? And 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 again, it's not for everybody. And you could be listening to this like right right now, being like, nope, hard stop, no exit only. Like that's that, that's nothing happens in that area. But what I'll tell you is, so just a little story about it's not for everybody. And this is just being super respectful, and and taking a, a you know a thirty thousand foot view. So I had a gentleman probably ten years ago that uh, I was in my clinic. I had a clinic in Nebraska at the time, and and I explained to him coffee enemas, and I explained to him what coffee enemas do, and he's like, not going to do it. And at first I was like, don't you want to get well? And I kind of was like frustrated. And I'm so grateful for his conversation because he came back to me like a couple weeks later and he's like, you know what, Dr. Greg, I, I just wanted to, 
I had a chance to like digest our conversation a little bit. And I just wanted to like come full circle for you. And he said, you know, um, when I was a little boy, I was, I was abused by an uncle. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so... And immediately I was like, well, no wonder why. So obviously it's not for everybody. And it's also, we also have to understand that just because someone says no to something, like there's probably a story behind this story. And it also doesn't mean that the story, you need to know the story. But I think what it taught me and my spirit was just like like the egotistical um, driver in me was like, don't you want to get well? But what I needed to learn was slow down and have compassion and ask good questions. So anyway, so I'm hopefully that that can land for some of you guys listening to this. So so what does a coffee enema do and how does it affect irritable bowel? So so many times what what is also the liver can also be the reason why you have irritable bowel. And I and I I will be honest with you guys, I don't share a lot about my own health journey, but my liver is not always amazing. Um, I have a, I have a sluggish liver. Uh, I love high fat foods. I love uh, a good greasy cheeseburger, grass fed, free range, organic, uh, albeit I love fat coffee. And I'll tell you, I'll be very honest with you. If I have too much fat in my diet, I, I will have loose stools very, very quickly. And, um, it's not my gut's fault. It's not my gut's fault. It's the liver. And, um, so for me, I know that I need to be supporting my liver. And, and also, um, like there's things that I know that I just need to be mindful about that. So I also believe that, you know, that we have things that are going on in our own world that's, that times that can maybe make us have more empathy or journey for others along the way. So, so that even comes to play. Like, so what do you do then? So coffee enemas are a way, in my opinion, a coffee enema is the cheapest, most effective um, liver detoxification slash aid that we can do. So first off, we don't put Starbucks or Caribou or Dunn Brothers or <laughs> Maxwell House upper butt. You have to use a certified mold-free organic coffee. And there's two chemicals in enema coffee that actually do the work. So number one is caffeine. Number two is palmitic acid. So uh, whether you don't know this, or now you do, the lighter the roast of coffee, the more caffeine it has. So for example... I am sipping on my dark roast Life Boost coffee, which could be used in the enema because this, this coffee is certified, uh, mold-free, certified pesticide-free, it's organic. However, uh, if I was to use Life Boost coffee, which, which I actually don't use Life Boost coffee for my enemas, um, I would use the lightest roast possible. So we actually recommend that our patients use an ultra-light roast coffee for their enemas. Um, so, but what so how in the heck does putting coffee at my butt stimulate my liver? Like, dude, like um, your, your colon is kind of on the bottom left side and your liver is kind of the upper right side. Like, how does that work? So let's talk about that for a second. So a little bit ago, you heard me talk about the hepatobiliary system, which then ties into your hemorrhoid vein. So when you put palmitic acid and um, caffeine in the presence of your hemorrhoid vein, by the way, your hemorrhoid vein is about this far four or five inches from your exit point. And so when you put those two chemicals in the presence of the hemorrhoid vein, those chemicals are carried up the hemorrhoid vein, which then turns into the hepatobiliary, fancy for liver gallbladder vein, and then comes to the, the gallbladder. And what it does is it allows the gallbladder, or the liver rather, to open up its ducts 
so that it can dump the toxins down that venous pathway and open up into the gut. And, uh, and I tell you what, we have had some crazy stories with people. We have a patient that she, she never even took an antiparasitic. Um, she just did her first coffee enema, and lo and behold, we, she literally started pooping out parasites. Now, I know that's probably gross to hear, but that's a true story. So I actually, you know, my, one of my philosophies is that the body really doesn't need help to heal. It just needs no interference. I mean, I truly believe that's our design of how our bodies are put together. So for example, in that young woman, her, she just needed some help. She needed us to support her liver. And then the body's like, I got it from here. So just keep that in mind. Like the body is properly designed. It is properly put together. And this is not a religious or a creation or anything conversation. Like just think about it. We are 75 trillion cells. We are a million bits of information every second orchestrated amazingly together. And I, I, Man, that just wows me every time I ever think about that. So a coffee enema can take some of the load off of the liver, which then can help the gut be in a better healing state. And there are all kinds of resources on this. Uh, on my sheet of paper, I've got some stuff here from the Cleveland Clinic. Um, we've got some some other information from, from some gastrointestinal sources. We've got We've got the um, National Institute of Health. There's just all kinds of research here on IBS from that standpoint. So I think it's important for us to really understand that the if the gut's talking, you better be listening. So um, go ahead and, and put comments in or questions about the gut. The gut is just, it's going to be an ongoing conversation that we have. Um, so ah, with that, we're going to take a little commercial break and then we'll jump into questions right after this. Hi everyone, I'm Ben, one of Dr. Greg's producers. I just wanted to hop on here and say thank you so much for tuning into The Daily Dose with Dr. Greg. We've seen an amazing amount of support for this podcast and we hope to continue providing you with the best content and guests out there. If you've left us a five-star review in the past and you haven't heard from our team, please reach out to let us know. Also, if you're looking to become a patient of Dr. Greg and Vitae Clinic, look for a link in any of the podcast show notes to get set up today. Thanks for tuning in, and let's jump back into the episode with Dr. Greg. All right, guys, thank you for joining us on today's podcast. I love talking about the gut and poop. So yeah, got all of that, even coffee. We've talked about coffee. So if you have found uh, value in our podcast Wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a five-star review. They are super helpful for us. Here's why. When people are looking like, what should I spend my time on? What should I watch? They're like, wow, this one has a bunch of five-star reviews. Now, we're going to incentivize you a little bit. Should you put a five-star review for this podcast, we'll put you into a drawing. Every single episode does a drawing for my uh, famous favorite vitamin D product. It's called DV3. It is the only vitamin D product that I use in our functional medicine clinic here in the Minneapolis area. Um, by the way, it has 21 ingredients. Most vitamin D products have like one or two ingredients. So, so put a five-star review in, share this, like this. And the ultimate uh, compliment is that you uh, share this with someone that you love. So thank you for listening. Be tuned for our next episode coming up.